I'm having this problem that if my microphone fades into this thing, it kind of looks, it looks very phallic. Like watch, gone. Oh yeah, that's fine. I like that actually. Yeah, use it, use it in your art. Welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 110. The gang is all here, happy, supporting each other. Unlike toxicity in other relationships, here at the Secret Movie Club Podcast, all we are about is positive, constructive support. You know what? We're doing the Golden Girls in a few weeks, and when I hear the Golden Girls theme song in my head, Edwin, I think, thank you for being a friend. Do you, th- do you feel the same for me? Uh, Today, we're talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off and the concept of the perfect movie. Who's with us? Uh, Daniel's here, but he's on a call, so he'll be in the, that episode later, but he's not here to introduce himself. Just do a Daniel Ott impersonation. This is That was my impression. Uh, um, and this is Carnal Aid Cruz, the people's champion. Hello, America. It's me again. Sometimes you got to have some, I don't know, some fist of theory. And uh, I'm Craig, the founder, programmer, Secret Movie Club. It is wonderful to have you here. If you are in the Los Angeles area tonight, we're continuing with our year-long John Ford series, The Ford Fundamentals, with a double of two of his greatest late period masterpieces, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance and The Last Hurrah. Tomorrow, we have filmmaker Jim Cummings, who is on a streak, writer-director. He won the Grand Jury Prize at South by Southwest in 2018. He is going to join us for all three of his movies, and he's going to talk about how he got them made, You know how he's able to write, direct, act. He's already at work on his next one. And I really have to thank a gentleman named uh, Sean Packer, the producer of Thunder Road, for putting this all together. But we are going to show Thunder Road, which is the movie that won uh, South by Southwest in 2018, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which was actually Robert Forrester's last film, and the movie that just came out a few months ago, The Beta Test. All three movies, written, directed, starring Jim Cummings, have similarities, but also go to different genres. The first movie is kind of a a slice-of-life comedy drama. The second second movie is a horror film, a comedy horror film. The third movie moves from small town America to L.A. talent agencies and toxic personalities uh, and a whole bunch of stuff. But join us. Jim Cummings is going to be there. Great flicks. And then next Wednesday, the 29th, we are doing our open mic short night for June. The theme is surrealism, surreal summer. So everybody who's taken up the competitions making a surreal themed movie. And then Thursday, we are showing Francis Ford Coppola's movie, criminally underseen the rain people with james Caan and robert duvall this actually was the movie that hugely influenced alfonso cuaron to make it to mama tambien so if you've never seen the rain people which has much more in line with coppola movies like Rumblefish and tetro and conversation actually those movies all would be coppola in a minor key mood, but amazing Coppola, writer, director Coppola. Wait, 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 we're showing that? Oh yeah, we're showing that, homie. That's a that's a hitting one. No one ever no one ever talks about yeah. it. And guess what? Guess who's doing it? Oh, see, Secret Movie Club. We're doing a summer speaker series at the Million Dollar Theater. Uh, We've already teased and hinted at it before, but just so you know, in July, we are going to do Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Raiders adaptation that these teenagers made in the 80s. And we're going to have Eric Zala, who headed that up. Uh, He's now my age or older. He's going to talk about how he did that adaptation. We're doing the silent movie, The Mark of Zorro, actually with the Jack Dubowski ensemble, the Douglas Fairbanks 1920 silent movie. We're having comic book artist Mike Mignola 
coming to talk about The Bride of Frankenstein and a documentary that was just made about him, and he's doing a poster for us. We have editor Mary Sweeney, who edited Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway and Twin Peaks, coming to talk about Lost Highway. We're doing a whole summer speaker series at the Million Dollar Theater, and we would love to have you. You can find out about us on secretmovieclub.com. Write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. So today we are talking about John Hughes' 1986 Ferris Bueller's Day Off and examining the concept of a perfect movie. Ferris, as many people have seen it know, is this great 80s teen comedy about high school senior Ferris Bueller, who is just the coolest dude on the planet in Chicago, though. And he decides he doesn't want to go to school. So he gets his best friend, Cameron, who's a hypochondriac, and his girlfriend, Sloan, out of school. And they play hooky, but do way better things in downtown Chicago. Meanwhile, his sister, Jeannie, played by Jennifer Grey, who is hugely resentful that Ferris seems to get away with murder, and assistant principal Ed Rooney are there to take Ferris down and catch him so that he has to repeat his last year of high school. That basically is the tension, if you want to say that, for the movie. It is my favorite John Hughes movie, one of my favorite movies of all time, but also the idea of a perfect movie. Interestingly, there are only a few movies that people routinely will say, oh man, that's a perfect movie. I wouldn't change a line. I wouldn't change a scene. Here's the weird thing. When we say that, that doesn't mean that they're the greatest movies of all time. Because perfection does not equal great necessarily, weirdly, although that might sound contradictory. But people talk about Big Lebowski that way a lot. They're like, I, I wouldn't change anything about Big Lebowski. People talk about Jaws that way. A lot of people are like, I wouldn't change a thing in Jaws. People will talk about Godfather Part 1 that way a lot. Wouldn't change a th thing about Godfather Part 1. And I'm sure you guys can mention other, like, these are perfect movies. So John Hughes, huh? What a guy. What a great guy. <laughs> what a The son of, of Chicago, man. John Hughes. I haven't heard that name in years. And that's funny, because I took a day off from work. I asked uh, one of my dudes at the theater if he could switch with me, because I needed to see Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So he did, and I said, you know what? I want this, because I need to see Ferris, because Ferris is one of the greatest movies ever made. And so I got to see it on 35 in 239. Okay. You were right, Edwin. I was wrong. I thought Ferris was 185, because no, no, it was no, no, a no, teen no, no, comedy, no, no. Yeah. and yeah, it was yeah. widescreen. Exactly. That tells you something about Ferris Bueller. That means it's a freaking epic, dude. All right? We know about epics. We know about the teen epic known as Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm here to learn. You are yeah. the master. I am the apprentice. Teach me. Exactly. Ferris Bueller, as you would say, Craig, is the perfect movie that has ever been made. There's not one thing bad about it. Every scene just is a hit, it's a hit, it's a hit after hit. Honestly, the, uh, Paul Hirsch edited this, right? Yep. Some of the cuts in those movies are dynamite. The movie is amazingly edited. That doesn't get talked about enough. Like, almost Eisenstein-level editing. And another thing is, well, I mean, John Hughes does this to most of the movies, but if you watch the trailer, there are some scenes in the trailer that are not in the actual film. Actually, there's a good example. When, uh, when Ferris is in the restroom talking to the audience and it cuts to Cameron, right there... There must have been a scene with him and Ferris, t like, talking. And that's why he makes those uh, faces and uh, kind of looks to the side a little bit. I I'm assuming there was a scene right there that just they just cut through it and put it in that footage. 
And I, I, I think that's amazing. I, I just realized it until, until I watched the movie. That was very John Hughes. There's also the very famous three-hour planes, trains, and automobile cut, which no one four. is four hours. John Hughes shot tons and tons and tons of material and scenes and then would prune it down to 90 to 105 minutes. I don't doubt that there's a lot of uh, Ferris material that maybe ended up on the cutting room floor. PTA also does the same thing, too. And it's interesting how John Hughes and PTA have that same similar interest. Where they overshoot and then cut back. And they put, like, extra scenes in the trailers and uh, end credits sometimes. That's what PTA does sometimes, a lot. As a writing strategy, you know, if you can get the budget and the money, it's actually very intelligent because what happens is you have a abundance of material. And this weird thing happens when you cut out. Weirdly, there's still a feeling of meaning, even if the scene isn't there and everyone's behaving. And so there's a richness that's achieved only because you actually it's it happens when you write short stories and novels, too, or screenplays. When you take things out, the richness remains, but the scene itself is gone. It's like negative space. It's almost magic to me. I can't quite explain it. We have technically I looked back episode 22 from August 14th, 2020. We did talk about several John Hughes movies, including Ferris Bueller. So I think I probably have better thoughts there. My favorite read of the movie is that Ferris isn't real. I agree. No, I, I agree too. It's like the Tyler Durden thing, but in a good way, where he is a Tyler Durden to uh, Cameron's narrator, or Jack, whatever you want to call Edward Norton's character. I really like Ferris Bueller. In that same realm, my favorite concept with that is that Ferris Bueller is a psychopath. Because his, his entire character is like manipulating his friends and family. And it's like sort of insane. And I love it. Someone put a great thing that you should double feature this with election as who Ferris turns out to be. Still manipulating people. Still in a school system. In Matthew Broderick's performance, because as written, Ferris is, is sort of kind of to a degree a bad guy. It's like this privileged bad guy. But he's played so charmingly. And so lovingly that it all works like their trio works so well because of the performance on top of, I think the writing is great. I'm going to call him a bad guy. I just like his entire character is how he gets what he wants. Yeah, but it, it, but it's just for the fun of it. It's just, it's just for, you know, the, the, yes, the, but the, the, fun, the fun is always at everyone else's expense. And I think it works so well because the performance is so effortless. The only qualm that I really have with this that slightly derails, but honestly, in revisits, I haven't cared as much is that the sort of shift to focus on Cameron and his issues with his father is kind of a little wiggly for me, because I think that's really interesting, but doesn't have enough screen time. But Ferris Bueller is such a vibe. Like, the whole thing just feels so good. I'm in the same vein. I don't know what I'd cut. It's just tight. It's one of those weird things, too, where I kind of feel like most every joke lands, which is rare in a comedy. Now, yeah, maybe that's why I classify it as a perfect movie. Is I don't. It's like Big Lebowski. I don't think there's a bad joke. All the side characters get so much screen time to be interesting, even if they're the joke. But like Jennifer Grey's entire arc is one of my favorite parts of the movie. I think her police station thing is one of the funniest. The divine grace she feels in that moment is so perfect. Also, the movie is so wildly creative. John Hughes must have been on fire because every detail is thought out when you watch it enough times in that police sequence with Jeannie and Charlie Sheen, when she's stumbling down the stairs, it's a doo-wop song. That's just her name. And so when you listen to it, she's like, my real name's Shauna. People call me Jeannie. And if you listen to the doo-wop, they go, Shauna, Shauna. And then she says, but people call me Jean. And then they're like, Jeannie, because it doesn't exist in the real world. He basically calls in sick in the morning 
And by the afternoon, there are water reservoir towers that say save Ferris. A newspaper says like community rallies around sick youth. It's just John Hughes creating some kind of meta universe of adolescent wish fulfillment. It just works perfectly. It's a movie where you can feel that someone's creatively on fire. And those are the movies I love the most. Like my favorite Hitchcock is Rear Window. And I love so many Hitchcocks. But in Rear Window, I just feel like he's on fire. Every creative decision he makes in Rear Window, just down to every single detail, is incredible. It's like why I think maybe Goodfellas is my favorite Scorsese movie. Every single decision in Goodfellas is somebody creatively on fire. And I feel that's the same in Big Lebowski. Every decision the Coen brothers made in that movie, it just like is thought out and it feeds the story and it's wildly inventive. So I guess my definition of a perfect movie is just that movie where you feel that the filmmakers are on creative fire. And I just feel that in, in Ferris. I've seen critiques that uh, the concept of like privilege with Ferris that I think are, are sort of interesting. And fair, by the way, totally valid. Upper middle class white kid. It's one of those weird things where like I think there is a movie where the realm of that, the way that he's living his life in that way. The movie almost tries sidesteps it, but it doesn't comment on it. He's just the vibe is the scenario that Ferris's life is like the idealistic six. And he's supposed to be like, what, 16 or something is like the concept of how you imagine school. Like if you're the coolest person in school, I feel like this is the thing you turn to is like, this is the life you'd want. I don't know if everyone would be like, I want to skip school and go to an art museum. I think that's great. But also like maybe not. I don't know. It would almost be a fascinating art project to make a movie about a working class underprivileged minority kid at that high school on the same day that Ferris is cutting and everyone's supporting him who can't catch a break, who always gets detention, who never is able to go, who doesn't have any money to like go anywhere. And it would throw into relief that Ferris enjoys his day because of his class and his privilege. He even thinks that he can do it because of that. So, I mean, that's it. It would be an interesting thing to throw into relief some of the problematic issues about Ferris. I think that's valid. And the time frame too, I think there were conversations around that weren't happening necessarily in the concept of movies at this time. So I think remaking it now, when we talked about remakes a few weeks ago, I think there's a really interesting idea of remaking things. People take issue with some of the content and it is if you take the remake and make that the issue would be really interesting as a way to rethink art not to change the thing that already exists but to repurpose it as a modern thing well did you ever see that snl sketch about batman <laughs> which was like the same thing so it was just a few years ago you should see it so it's some kind of party and bruce wayne is throwing it and so bruce wayne is walking through the party wanting to hear everybody praise how awesome batman is and he goes to a black family and this black family's like oh, i hate batman and bruce wayne's like Really? He's like, like, all he does is come to our neighborhood and ruin our apartments and like take down some like white criminal. And then he's out and he never like repairs anything. He never helps us. And he never thinks about us like at all. And then like they talk about these apartments and supermarkets and stuff that got totally thrashed by like Batman in a car chase with white criminals. And then they're like, yeah, man, I'd like to see Batman arrested because like all he does is make life miserable for us. And so it was a really funny thing about how when you think about Batman, Batman is actually a guy who has wild amounts of money who decides that he's the guy who can enforce law in a city single-handedly. So it's another, it's kind of like Ferris Bueller's for DC Comics. Lame. 
just any thoughts on the the notion of a perfect movie? Do you reject that frame? Do you have a perfect movie that's different? I have two responses. My first is that I do sort of reject the frame, but I think you would probably agree with me. The perfect movie implies like some sort of objective, like reality about film. And I don't really believe, I don't know if I believe in any sort of objective reality. That's where kind of I'm at these days, but I certainly don't believe it when it comes to art like the closest you could ever get to an objective best movie would be to survey everybody living and dead including all of our ancestors and adolf hitler and figure out what their favorite movies were and average it up and it would probably be like a indian film if i had to guess <laughs> <laughs> based on that metric it'd be cholet homie but cholet is kind of a perfect movie i wouldn't have a problem with that but to play the little game here i'll submit I think RoboCop's a perfect movie. It is a perfect movie. What would you change? Nothing. It's a great movie. If people haven't heard about this crazy movie, it's about a robot who's a cop, and it's really good. The original. The original RoboCop, of course. No, I'm talking about the remake of RoboCop. <laughs> it's a perfect movie. Um, no, I'm talking about the the original 1940s French. Oh, yeah. Jean Renoir directed. RoboCop. Un flic. Mechanical. Mechanique. Wouldn't that be it? French? Un flic mechanique. Yeah, Robocop, the Paul Verhoeven movie. That movie is great to the very last moment when he's like, Ed, you're fired. <laughs> I, even the font in that movie is like perfect at the end. That simple block font that comes off slightly off center. What about the claymation dinosaur for K-Sucks? The car that sucks gasoline? I just want to live in my appreciation for that. The ultraviolence, Miguel Ferrer. Oh, doing coke. I remember my dad showed me that movie when I was 9, and I remember I was Hell yeah. I was oh yeah. I remember being horrified and really disturbed at the scene where Miguel Ferrer is doing cocaine from what appear to be two maybe call girls escorts or whatever in his baller you know, high executive post dead tech house. And then the bad guy comes in and blows him up and shoots him and everything. Are you talking about when the dad from the 70s show, Kurtwood Smith, he walks in and he says, bitches, leave uh, <laughs> to the call girls he's with, <laughs> which is maybe the best line of dialogue in movie history. Oh, it is. And the funny thing you're saying about that is, I don't know if you guys have any memories like this, but I was nine and the movie mega disturbed me, but I knew it was great. The funny thing was like in that scene, I was like looking at my dad and my sister. I was like, this is great. And I'm nine. Ray Wise, he's in it. That one guy who becomes a horrible monster man from the goo. That's not to love. Man, we derailed this. You just hijacked it, Shanghai it with Robocop. That is a perfect <laughs> movie. Daniel, perfect movie. Thoughts? I think I'm in the same realm. Perfect is an unfair concept. It's unattainable. But I like the idea of perfect film internally. And there is one perfect film that fits all the criteria. It's a little movie called Hot Fuzz. Of course. <laughs> from script to screen. Every joke lands every joke is a setup to a bigger joke every visual gag is set up to a bigger joke there is no wasted moment it is 121 minutes of perfection even the crowd i'll watch the credits because the music's good it's a, it's the I, I, that's all i got you got edgar wright to introduce it yeah, why would you not introduce a perfect film you should be proud of it i give him a little a little pat on the back i hope he wakes up and he's like i made hot fuzz every morning if we're ever friends i'm gonna text him every day and be like hey man have a great day. You made hot fuss. Like that guy who's photoshopping Paddington Bear every day into a different movie. Yeah, it's just me texting, <laughs> me texting Edgar Wright. Hey man, thanks for making hot fuss. I'm gonna go with um, uh, Assault Persona. on Precinct Thirteen. Assault on Precinct Thirteen. 
Assault on Precinct 13. I consider it to be the perfect movie. The perfect action. The perfect western. Not that thing called Bio Bravo, whatever it's called. I don't know. Rio Bravo. Bio Bravo. Well, Edwin, you're saying you're saying that's the perfect movie. We're not talking about the best movie because I think the best movies are movies that, like, even with their flaws, rise above it. But I, I'm curious, Edwin, what do you think is a perfect, like, a movie that doesn't have any flaws? That's hard. That's hard. I mm. It totally can be assault. I'm just wondering if that actually maybe not because I just picked it out of spot. I couldn't think of anything else. If I, if, I, if I had to choose another one, I didn't want to do another John Hughes, but I want to say Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is one of them. That, to me, is, is a personal one. That I picked to be, like, the perfect movie he's ever. Like, just not one thing could possibly change, even though it should have been a lot longer. I, I'd say Planes, Trains is, like, the perfect movie as well for me. Uh... Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> a perfect movie is different from the best movie. My Desert Island movie is Seven Samurai, and I would not change a frame of that. I wouldn't dare. I think it transcends cinema in its greatness. And yet, if we're having a conversation about perfect movies, it's not a movie that would even come into my head. It's that thing of language. We're using perfect to mean something that maybe we're not even completely defining yet. Maybe we're talking about a movie that gives us pure enjoyment. Because what's interesting is that Everybody I noticed lit up when they were talking about their movie. And it must be a kind of euphoric joy <laughs> that you feel the entire time you watch that movie. Whereas a movie like Seven Samurai, I totally feel euphoric joy, but it also challenges me. It also makes me think about the human condition. It also makes me face truths that are really hard. And I love that. But that's not the same as a uninterrupted, just euphoric joy that, you know, maybe I feel watching Ferris or Big Lebowski. If you're looking at perfection and also best, once again, let me present you a hot fuzz. Damn it. Directed by Edgar Wright, 2007, 121 minutes. Big cops, small town, moderate violence. The movie's called <laughs> Money Plane, and it's 80 minutes long, 80 minutes of pure perfection. K. Grams basically making his uh, claim for best actor of all time. Lawrence Brothers, Denise Richards. <laughs> if you didn't know yet, Money Plane has been, I think, name-checked on this podcast more than movies like wild strawberries so maybe check out money plan pop culture and final thoughts edwin come the time when a man can have enough movies <laughs> and um you know um yeah i didn't really do much uh i saw what did i see that's a good question you know i think i might have said it before but i'm gonna say it again because i don't care i saw two rare hong kong movies at the bev called The Day That Doesn't Exist and Evil Cat. You've already you've already shouted those out. I did? Oh, okay. And, uh... Oh, The Day The Earth Caught Fire. I didn't mention that one. Saw it on 35. Joe Dante was there to present it because he picked it, and that's his personal print. And that movie's a, that movie's a major downer. But uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I loved it. And, uh, oh, this is going to not make Daniel happy because his obsession with South Korean films. Uh, I saw a movie called I Saw the Devil. Which I would say, the greatest revenge movie of all time. I loved it. And uh, that's it. Goodbye. Um, I'm on that Elden Ring train. I'm playing on PS5. Character named Big Jin. So if you ever, if you see Big Jin, that's me. Is Jin spelled D-G-I-N-N? Nope. J-E-N. Big Jin. I'm just saying it weird. <laughs> As in, Bigger for Jennifer. 
And uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz. Watch me play D&D. Twitch.tv slash Holla. Tuesday evenings. If you get invaded by a character in Elden Ring named Husband Bulge, that's me. <laughs> uh, I like to get in there and kill everything. My only thing this week, the only thing I just keep going back and back and back and back to is the new trailer for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. I oh, just saw it yesterday. It is a mic drop of a trailer. There's like, here's a line of dialogue. Here's seconds of footage. My favorite thing, too, is that, you know, in the world, we've got some great CGI from time to time. This and that, this and that for visual effects. So like, well, how do we prove that Tom Hanks is driving a car through Tom Rome? Cruise? Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks sorry. In the movie? Oh my gosh, what an incredible <laughs> movie that would be. How do we prove that Tom Cruise is driving this car through Rome? And the answer is you rip off every door so that every angle will always so clearly be the man in there. And let me tell you, it's a year away, which is kind of fricked up, but cannot wait to be in a theater watching Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning with my boys. I thought the trailer actually, I loved the callback to Mission Impossible 1. Then for a little bit, I was like, oh, this kind of doesn't look that great. And then when the green powder explodes, whatever that's about, that's it. From the green powder to the end, I was like, oh, no, this is going to be dope. My favorite thing, I can't confirm, but the new Thor trailer also dropped the same day and it wasn't supposed to. And I think that the Internet was like every trending thing was Mission Impossible. And I think there was a panic. And so Disney was like, Thor, it's also here. I feel like they should have waited two days to drop the other trailer just to like let it simmer down. But I'm like, now there's little competitions. We got movies are coming, guys. Movies are back. I'm watching a movie I love right now, but I'm not going to talk about it till I finish it. It may be my favorite movie of 2021. Money plane. <laughs> I have been following while we record this. Can is wrapping up. Can 2022. And it, it's been, you know, to Daniel's point, it's great to be like, oh, you know, suddenly I'm following the Cannes Film Festival again. And David Cronenberg and George Miller and Chan Woon Park and all these incredible filmmakers are debuting their movies there. Weirdly, Top Gun Maverick was like wildly received. I'm curious to see if it's as good as the reception it got at Cannes. And there are all these movies now that I'm really interested about. 3,000 Years of Longing from George Miller, Crimes of the Future, David Cronenberg. Um, what's the Chan Woon Park movie called? Decision to Leave. With Tang Wei. So that's exciting, you know, to suddenly follow a film festival again and be like, you know, people are making movies and people are debating them and people are talking about whether it's good or this one was a disappointment or this one rose above. And you're like, yeah, you know what? Life finds a way. No. So Secret Movie Club podcast 111 will be Connor's birthday pick, the Canadian road trip, sex comedy, erotic thriller, mind melter. So bad it's good. Directed by a doctor. Ryan's babe. And we'll also be talking about So Bad They're Good Movies. As always, this episode was edited by Connor Lloyd Cruz. You can go to secretmovieclub.com to see everything we're doing. You can go to Eventbrite to get tickets if you're here in the Southern California area. We would love to have you. Tonight, we're doing a John Ford double. Tomorrow, we got writer-director Jim Cummings talking about his three movies. Next Wednesday, another open mic short night where people are making shorts. Next Thursday, we're doing Francis Ford Coppola's Rain People. So viva cinema. Long live cinema. Let's be part of making cinema. No, I'm going to take that back. I do not want to say make cinema great again. Woo! Yikes. What, what happened to Gone with the Wind? <laughs> it could have it just been a reference from the perfect movie Hot Fuzz. Yeah, I just let's all be part of helping cinema because cinema is here and I love it. And there you go. Okay, guys, have a great week. I love you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
it's over.